In just a moment, I'm going to be reading from 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, and I'll begin reading in verse 6 and reading through verse 10, a brief passage of Scripture, uh, and I'll invite you to have your Bible open or a pew Bible that's provided there uh, for you, as well as uh, the Scripture being on the screen. Before I read Scripture, I'd like for us to pray together. Would you bow with me, please, for a moment of family prayer time? and quiet meditation in God's presence. We thank you, holy God, for being creator and sustainer of the universe and all that is, for being redeemer and savior and Lord of our lives. We pray that today you would empower us as your church to share your truth boldly, to serve justice and compassion in the Jesus way. And today we pray for our nation and the world, for those who need you so badly. We pray for our elected officials, that they will have courage and wisdom to deal with intractable problems, to bring justice and peace to our world and our nation. We pray for those who are suffering, for innocent children, for those who have no vote over their circumstances and have no opportunity. We pray that you would give us hearts of compassion as we seek to live the gospel and to follow you. We pray for our church's mission this summer, a time of ripe opportunities, vacation Bible camp for all of the workers, all of the children, all of the parents as they prepare for this special week, for sports crusaders camps, for the ways that the gospel will be shared and for the lessons that will be learned, for mission trips to Kenya and to Houston and to Ukraine. Would you by your spirit bless and guide each who are participating and prepare the hearts of those who will be receiving us that we might be receiving as well as giving, and opening our hearts to the new things you want to teach us as a church and as your family. Lord, we pray for those in our congregation who are dealing with sickness, who are dealing with a sense of despair, for those who are dealing with grief. We pray your rich blessing and your comforting Holy Spirit's presence. May you, in this worship service, speak clearly to our hearts May your spirit take these words of scripture and make them come alive, not only with application, but with imagination, the possibilities of what could be if we follow Jesus. So open our hearts and guide us, we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Now, I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 6, and I invite you to stand if you're able as God's word is read. The Apostle Paul says, so we are always confident, even though we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we do have confidence, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. 
For all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may receive recompense for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Several years ago, Marv Levy was the head coach for the Kansas City Chiefs. And uh, at a particular time in his leadership of that team, uh, they were having a really good start. And they were tied for first place in mid-October. And everyone was pleasantly stunned and, and encouraged and excited. The fans were excited. The players were excited. And a reporter asked Marv Levy, he said, is this the biggest thrill of your life? And Marv Levy, without even batting an eye, said, no, not really. He said, my wife just had surgery and a large tumor was removed from her stomach and the tumor was benign. That's the biggest thrill of my life. And you see, what he was saying was, there's a lot more to life than the things we can see and there are a lot more definitions of success than some of the definitions floated out there by our culture. What things matter, what things don't. Putting things in perspective. Years ago, the uh, famous columnist, the late Irma Bombeck, wrote a, a, a column that was very, very popular entitled, If I Had My Life to Live Over Again. And in it she wrote, If I had my life to live over again, I would have invited friends over to dinner even if the carpet was stained and the sofa faded. If I had my life to live over again, I would have sat on the lawn with my children and not worried about grass stains. If I had my life to live over again, when my child kissed me impetuously, I would never have said, later, now go get washed up for dinner. If I had my life to live over again, there would have been more I love yous, more I'm sorries, but mostly, given another shot at life, I would seize every minute, look at it, and really see it, and never give it back. She said some profound things there about what's important in life, what we value, and gaining a perspective about what is success and what brings meaning to our lives. The Apostle Paul weighed in on that topic over and over again. He never really left it. Uh, he basically says in our scripture text this morning that eternity is the perfect place to evaluate time. Eternity is the ideal place to set our priorities. From the perspective of eternity to evaluate what we value and what we give our lives to. In fact, if you don't have the perspective of eternity, you're liable to really, really mess up and live for the wrong stuff. In verse 6, he says, So we are always confident, even though we know that while we're at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we have confidence, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are home or away, we live, we make it our aim to please God. See, he, he was saying that the things of this earth are real, but they're not final. And we make a mistake. Some Christians live as if 
the things of this earth are not real, as if it doesn't matter what happens to our earth and to people here. We only are here to get people to heaven. That's not biblical. Paul made it very clear the things of this earth are real. It's just that they're not permanent. The things of this life are real. They're just not final. You've heard the old saying, haven't you, that uh, you never see a U-Haul a U-Haul truck following a hearse to the cemetery? Well, somebody, I guess, wanted to capture that photo moment. Yeah, it's true. You don't take it with you. And there's no U-Haul ever following a hearse to the cemetery. You don't get to take stuff with you. This was, a, this was staged, people. I'm guessing. But Paul was saying... Look, the things of this life are real, but they're not final. They're not permanent. And on Father's Day, it seems like this is a great text from our lectionary reading uh, to, to just deal with the, the privilege we have as families of passing on to succeeding generations what is important and what's not, what's lasting and what's not. What are our life's priorities and how do we live? It's a great time for us to take stock of that. Now, whenever you're reading scripture, you should probably pay attention to words that appear more than once in a passage of scripture because probably the writer is making a point that we need to capture. And in the English translation, New Revised Standard particularly, The word confident or confidence appears twice. Verse 6, Paul says, So we're always confident, even though we're home in the body and away from the Lord. And then in verse 8, Yes, we do have confidence. Interesting. This confidence for Paul was not an arrogance, not a cockiness. His confidence was in what God has done in Jesus Christ. That in Jesus Christ, God has worked the miracle of forgiveness and salvation. That in the, the cross and in the resurrection, God has leveraged us out of death and out of hell and out of the grave into purposeful living. Paul knew that by faith he was in Christ. And that gave him confidence, not in himself, but in what God had done in Christ. And because Paul was in Christ, he he lived uh, with a a sort of settled peace. He wasn't afraid for the future. He didn't know what the future held, but he wasn't afraid. There was this settled peace and calm in his life. And it wasn't just about facing the future. It was actually that confidence gave him a, a critical distance from his enemies to where they didn't have to control him him and his life. It even gave him a critical distance from himself that he could step back and evaluate himself and, and make sure he was living for the right things. Uh, there was this, this confidence that, that made it possible for Paul to say, you know, I don't have to always win. I don't have to always be right. I don't have to be liked by everybody. I don't have to be popular. You don't even have to understand me. I am in Christ, and I have this confidence. 
And it set him free from so many battles of trying to impress others, trying to be somebody he's not. And so we walk by faith, not by sight, Paul says. To walk by faith is to be able to leave the final tallying of life up to our merciful and loving God. To walk by faith is to say, I don't understand it all, I haven't gotten it all right, I'm not perfect, but I trust in Jesus Christ, and I trust the final tallying to a God who is merciful and a God who is loving. That's what it is to walk by faith and not by sight. And you get a little more insight into this in verse 9, where Paul says, whether we're here on this earth or we're in our heavenly home, we have one aim, and that's to please God. Pleasing God. That's simple enough. Now, I'm aware on this Father's Day that not everybody in this sanctuary grew up with a very warm and and happy relationship with an earthly father. I get that. And I'm sorry about that. And for some, Father's Day can be very painful. But I also want us to realize that typically the ideal of a father-child relationship often goes a little like this. Uh, When you're really small, you're sort of you sort of fear your earthly father because he's big, he's got whiskers, deep voice, and then that kind of turns into a respect. And then that turns, hopefully, ideally, into love. So that in a healthy relationship with a father, we're doing the right thing, not because we're afraid we'll get caught if we do the wrong thing. We do the right thing because we are afraid we will disappoint our Father. See the difference? If we're doing the right thing to avoid getting caught doing otherwise, that's much different than doing the right thing because we simply don't want to disappoint the one we love and the one who loves us. And you see that some of us are very immature spiritually. We are still at that stage of, I hope God doesn't catch me. I hope God doesn't see this. Instead of being at a place of a loving, warm, personal relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, to where we can say, the biggest biggest hurt to my life would be that I've disappointed God. I've disappointed my Heavenly Father. So Paul says, as I evaluate life's priorities, my aim is to please my Heavenly Father. I don't want to disappoint him. And all of this sort of wraps up in verse 10, where Paul says, All of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may receive recompense for what we've done in our bodies, whether good or evil. We all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, here's something interesting. If you've read the First Testament of Scripture and a lot of the New Testament, what you would have expected Paul to say is, we all must appear before the judgment seat of God. But what did he say? He said we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Because according to John 5.22, 
God loves Jesus so much and has invested Jesus with so much authority that the judgment of God is the judgment of Christ, that all judgment has been committed to the Son. Now, you can have your own eschatology. You're entitled to your opinion, uh, a, a doctrine of end times. Uh, personally, I do not believe verse 10 is a reference to a judgment when we die to decide whether we go to heaven or to hell, eternal destiny. Uh, I, a lot of people have this false notion that, that when we die, God weighs our good works and God weighs our bad works, and then if our bad works weigh, too, weigh more than the good works, God says sorry and he banishes us. That's not biblical. If that were the case, nobody would ever be with God in heaven because we have all sinned and fall short of God's glory. Now this, the judgment to decide eternal destiny is decided on the cross when Jesus absorbed all of our judgment and we, when we by faith receive him and enter a committed relationship with him. That's taken care of. I believe verse 10 is a reference to the believer's judgment. That sometime at the end of history we will be assessed for the good and evil we've done, for our works, for our service, for our lives. Now, that's very comforting to know that Christ is judging me and not some of you. And you might say the same back to me. Aren't you glad? And this might be a newsflash to some. We're not the judges. There's already somebody on that throne and he's not abdicated. He's not scooted over. Thank God. Jesus judges us. The one who was full of mercy and grace. The one who healed sick people. The one who forgave sinners. The one who died on the cross for us. The one who rescued and saved us is the one who judges us. Isn't that good news? And it's Christ judging us. We don't have to judge others. We can Leave it to God. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may receive recompense for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. Uh, one of my favorite places in Washington, D.C. is the National Cathedral. If you've never been, you should go. Just amazing architecture, beautiful space. And, uh, of course, they have a gift shop. And uh, I don't know if it's still up there, but they used to have a sign in the gift shop to sort of warn shoplifters, potential shoplifters. And the sign simply says, we may not see you take it, but God will. God's always watching. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in one of his sermons, this is what it means to live life in the continual presence of the everlasting God, to live our lives in the continual oversight of the everlasting God. I don't know who said this, uh, but it's a great quote, said, sooner or later, we all sit down to a banquet of circumstances, a banquet of consequences. First, we sit down to the circumstances, whatever happens in our lives, we make choices and then sooner or later, we all sit down to a banquet of consequences. There's much being written today about uh, leaving carbon footprints as we try to think about earth care. 
and about minimizing our own despoiling of creation. And uh, they encourage us to measure our, our carbon footprint. And it's an important thing. But here the Apostle Paul was saying, we all leave a moral footprint on the earth. We all leave a spiritual footprint on other people's lives. And God will take a, a look at that and evaluate that and help us understand what that's all about. Soren Kierkegaard is, uh, was a famous Danish theologian and philosopher. And he wrote this powerful uh, book about willing one thing, purity of heart. He said, you never have purity of heart till you can get down to one thing. He said, the only thing that brings purity of heart is commitment. And he, he explained what we know is that all of life is a continual assigning of things that demand our attention and loyalty. Stuff keeps coming at us every day, every minute, calling for our attention, our allegiance, our money, our, our very love and passion. And we continually sort, we continually sift, we continually rework, and we continually rearrange. And Kierkegaard said... We have to get it down to one thing because the key to purity of heart is commitment. Commitment to Jesus Christ. So, using the lens of eternity to evaluate our priorities in time, here's a simple set of questions. What you're doing, what you're committed to, what you're, what's taking up all of your time and of your allegiance... Will it matter in two weeks? Will it matter in two years? Will it matter in two decades? Will it matter in 200 years? And will it matter in eternity? Will it matter? Let's pray. Open our hearts, God, to the power of your gospel call on us and help us to deal with your spirits tugging and direction in, in the ways that you see fit and call us to. As we bow for just a moment, we encourage you to formulate your response right where you stand during our response time, perhaps uh, some things that need rearranging, a fresh commitment to the Lordship of Christ or perhaps a, a decision to receive Christ for the first time, to know that He's taken on our judgment. Perhaps a church membership decision, coming for prayer, a particular burden on your heart. Whatever the Spirit might be leading, we just open this time to you during our response time. Amen.